Hey, hey, hey! My name is Kate, and this is Reverse Farm Girl, a sex, spirituality, and the Nebraska life podcast. You're listening to episode number 13 called Jesus as a Container for the Erotic. Okay, good afternoon and a happy Halloween, my viewers, my listeners. This is ha- recorded on Halloween. I don't know if when it's going to hit the airwaves, but Celia and I haven't even discussed Halloween today and how it relates to sex and spirituality. <laughs> I have this is my my next run with a guest. I'm still learning how to interview, so um, I have another. You know. Everyone out there is so special to me. So everyone is a very special guest. So I have another special guest. Um, I'm going to call her one of my young friends. <laughs> She's making a face and shaking her head as I say that. But I'm going to turn it over to my my young guest. And she's going to tell all of my listeners more about herself. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Celie. Um, I'm apparently young. I'm 23, which to Kate is very young. Um, (laughs) I am one of Kate's friends. Uh, We met working at a writing center, Um, but I'm also a teacher, a grad student at UNL, um, and I'm a poet. Mm. Um, I'm trying not to envy Celie for her 23-ness, but that's hard for me. Like, <laughs> I try not to have too much envy in my life, but now I'm really like, holy, if I could just go back to being 23, I would just do a lot of things different. So I just uh, feel like, you know, I wish I could tell you that it sucks, but I do actually think that being 23, my, I've told my friend this the other day, I'm like, this might be the age I want to be forever. <laughs> oh, well, enjoy it, man. I mean, I love being 43. I do. But Well, you're but- my friend that like, Whenever people are like afraid of aging, I'm like, no, it's going to be awesome. I have several friends who are in their 40s who are women and talk about how cool it is. So I'm very ready for that. And you're one of those people that I'm like, yeah. What what do they say? What else is cool about it? What do other people say? Uh, Or what makes your other friends in their 40s cool? I feel like they just like know who they are and they feel like pretty calm in it. And then they get to like pursue all this awesome stuff because you sort of haven't, I've heard that you have an understanding of yourself that maybe has not completely fulfilled itself at the age of 23. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the forties come and they're just awesome. (laughs) That's interesting. I would corroborate, corroborate that from my personal experience. Yeah. Um, Celia and I talked as in our, our work, we would discuss a lot of things and I was always amazed at her like her smarts and like the way she can explain her thoughts. And I'm just like, whoa, when I was 20, you know, we pro- we haven't worked together, unfortunately, since before COVID. So she was probably just like 21 back then. And I was always like, man, when I was 21, I could not articulate a single thing. And that's <laughs> absolutely, that. no, it is, it is true. So I'm always amazed at the way she can like explain her thoughts. <laughs> and this is a fairly new ability that I, I've acquired. Um, so number one question, um, Celie, do you feel sexy today? What a question, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> you would, you would surprise me with this. Um, can I say yes and no? Oh yeah, go on. Tell us, tell us more about that. So like, no, because of just, I don't know my, like, I feel sort of detached from my body today in ways that, you know, happen every once in a while. 
Um, but then also, yes, like I had like a highly erotic weekend that was very fun. I like went dancing with all my friends and, you know, so, so yes and no, I'd say yes and no. I have, I'm feeling lingering feelings of sexiness from this weekend. <laughs> See, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had a highly erotic weekend in my life. <laughs> but here's the thing is my understanding of the word erotic is different than most people is like erotic to me is like more like Audre Lorde erotic, where it's just like about like an internal like emotionality, I guess. And it's less about sex. Like it can involve sex, but I feel like eroticism is like flirting and connection and fun and friendship as much as it is anything else for me. Oh, can you give us a specific example from your um, erotic weekend? This <laughs> is like already done. I told Kate before we came on that I'm so scared. I'm so scared of doing this interview because I already overshare in my personal life. And I certainly overshare with Kate because I'm very comfortable with her and because of the things we talk about. And I'm so afraid we're just going to have this amazing conversation. And I'm going to get home tonight and be like, oh my God, I said that on the internet. Um, I guess, so I, uh, this connects back to being a Nebraska girl, but I was on the dance floor um, and I stole someone's cowboy hat and I danced around in a cowboy hat for a little bit on Saturday night. And that felt, that felt kind of erotic to me. Oh yeah. Um, first of all, what dance floor? Uh, like downtown what? Lincoln, the gay bar here on O Street. Oh, well, are you familiar with the movie, The Cutting Edge? No, Kate. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it came out. It came out before you did in 1992. <laughs> out before you did. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And there's there's a scene where it's about a figure skater and an ice hockey player who who becomes a figure skater and they fall in love. And there's a scene where they're running together and. Um, he like takes her hat and goes running with, <laughs> and I, 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 when I watched that as like a high school freshman, I was like, oh, I wish somebody would steal my hat and <laughs> go scampering away with it. But that's never happened. But I can see where like taking. Well, somebody's... come dancing with me, and if you have a cowboy hat, I will take it off you apparently I, I and would... dance with it. <laughs> yeah. I would love to uh, either steal someone's hat or have my hat be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> on a dance floor. I mean, maybe maybe not if I just like left it on a bench and something. <laughs> that's, you know, so that's not very I, I did erotic. give him back the hat. Like I gave the hat back to him. So well, good. Yeah, kudos for you. Kudos to you. Thank um, you. Do you feel sexy overall? Like just. <laughs> wow, these are really loaded questions that are getting at stuff that I'm writing through in my palms right now. Um, I feel sexual. I feel like sex and sexuality is a very important part of my life. And it's something I talk about a lot um, with people that I care about. And I think it's interesting and like fun and um, intellectual um, in some ways. Um, but I don't know if I feel sexy all the time. Like, I definitely have some like distance from my body based in like both past trauma, but then also just like the ways that we're raised to not pay attention to our bodies, especially like as a fat person, um, sexy was not a word that I even realized I could attach to my body until I was about 19, mm -hmm. which is not that long ago for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so no, I don't know if I feel sexy all the time, but I definitely like, it is a political commitment of mine <laughs> is to like pleasure um, and openness about sex and openness about sexuality and queerness. So, oh, I just love that. I love that you use the phrase political commitment of mine. Mm. 
do you want to talk a little bit more about um, Celie and I are both from, as I like to call it, the 308? The 308. It's an important place. <laughs> it is It is an important place. So few people are actually from there. and But yet, if you are, it really, really does a number. At least it has for me. Um, do you want to talk about your experiences there and how it relates to, uh, you know, just the, the broad topics of sex, spirituality, and the Nebraska life? <laughs> Take <laughs> My three pick. favorite topics of conversation, Kate. Um yeah, no, I grew up in Oglala, Nebraska, which is a town of about 5,000 on the western border, close to Colorado. Um, and I fucking love my hometown. I love my people uh, that are from there. Two of my best friends are like still people that I went to high school with, right? So um, I, I do, I love Oglala a lot. I also feel very exiled from it, maybe is the word I would use. Mm. That's not my word. That's Eli Clare's word. He's a theorist who talks about like being rural and being queer. But um, I definitely feel like I love Ogallala. And I also feel like I could not stay there to become the person I wanted to be. Um, and it definitely shaped how I think about all these things. Right. Well, so like I was very active in my church in high school. I was like born again as like an eighth grader and like very, very active in my church. Um, and that definitely impacted how I think about sex and spirituality, right? It was sort of, um, at the time it was a Baptist church. Now they refer to themselves more as a Bible church. Um, but I think that like, there are ways that there are links between my experience with the church and my experience of sexuality and my experience of ruralness. But yeah, no, I think that, I think that Oglala definitely shaped all three of those things. And also I just love Nebraska. Like my voice is a little hoarse today from like yelling at the Huskers game. <laughs> I'm like a queer woman with purple hair in the stands yelling at the Huskers game. <laughs> so you went yeah, to the um, game. I did go to the game. Oh, I did. My parents went. <laughs> so did everyone else. There are apparently like 86,000 people there. <laughs> um, one of my theories is that Jesus is not interested in sexuality. Like, whoa, whoa. Kate, that's a serious theory you have? Yeah. I mean, I think Jesus was like really into, um, you know, speaking truth to power, as uh, a friend of mine once said. And And you don't think sexuality is a part of speaking truth to power? I'm I'm, curious. I'm not judging. I'm curious. As this is coming out of my mouth, I'm like, well, maybe it is. And now you said political commitment. And I have said, like at the beginning of this podcast, I was like, I don't know if Jesus would really what Jesus would think of this podcast because it seems to me like his his thinking is more I don't know economic and more about like <laughs> you're making faces I'm I'm interested to hear what you say like I I really think a lot about like the teachings of Jesus and Christianity and I'm like I don't know if really what I'm trying to do with sexual liberation is really related to that but you are making faces like you have other thoughts go on well (laughs) I have some feelings about Jesus that would probably um get me kicked out of most modern day churches um also the thing about this too I guess that I should say before I say this is that I was like born again in high school all four years of high school very active in my church did not know I was queer or did not name that at least um and then went to college came out left church and basically never looked back Um, but was very interested in the ideas of um, spirituality and also in the way that the church shaped me in sort of a subconscious way. And then I'd say in the last couple of years, I've been thinking about it more. And like Jesus is a thing that comes up in my art a lot now. Um, But to me, like 
new Jesus. I don't know if I am actually like, I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. I don't really have a practice um, anymore, but I am interested in the idea of Jesus and in the idea of the church um, intellectually and artistically. And I always just like, I take the parts of Jesus that sort of work for me, which is that like, in my head, Jesus is like queerness, like they, like queer and Jesus are things that I hold together. Mm. And part of that is because at the time I didn't have a name for it, but my experiences in the church as a teenager were harmful. Yes. But there are also moments of connection that I now name as erotic. Like I would say that like prayer was an erotic experience I was happening that was happening for me in high school that I would not have named it that way at the time, but I basically left. And then I would like started, um, kissing girls. And I was like, this feels a lot like those worship songs <laughs> that I used to sing to God. Oh. Um, so I definitely think of Jesus as like a sort of fun idea to play with in my art, but also I'm thinking about it more seriously recently in ways that I haven't in a very long time, but as like Jesus, as a, as a sort of, um, container for the erotic for me and, just, I don't think of Jesus as economic whatsoever. If I think of like, if I'm thinking about him, I'm thinking about him as the people, like a person with political commitment, similar to mine, a, a thing that has space for eroticism, a thing that has space for sex, um, a thing that is like inherently a little queer and that it's like radical and has a different orientation toward the world than most people do. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was literally thinking, oh, they're going to fire me from this gig and hire Seely. <laughs> that was a great answer. Wow, that was a fantastic answer. What did you say, Jesus, as a container for? Did you say this? For the erotic. Yeah. Oh, can I use that as the title for this show? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it. I feel like, well, well, if you think about the erotic as like a, as a sort of a deep internal... I think Audre Lorde says something about like the erotic as the space between I'm butchering this quote, but like the space between an understanding of ourself and the chaos of our strongest feelings. Like that's yeah. like, that's an Audre Lorde quote. So not me, not me. But if I think about that, if I think about erotic as like, I think one of my friends called it an orb, an orb inside of myself that then, yeah, Jesus is totally part of that um, in a way that can be fun and dangerous and queer and interesting. Um, and isn't, I'm not interested in like punishment or sort of restriction as an idea that I live my life by. And my understanding of Jesus, the way I orient toward Jesus now is not really interested in that either. See, I always think of like, I, I, I wrote a little thing that talked about how I'm a Christmas girl, not an Easter girl, that I like comfort and joy, not suffering and sacrifice. <laughs> I just had a conversation like literally two days ago with my friend where they were like, if you could reclaim any holiday for queer people, what would you reclaim? And I was like, Easter. I was like, pastels, um, camp. Like we could totally make this a queer holiday. <laughs> oh, this is so much healthier than some of my attitudes. Hmm, well, okay. Here's the thing too, um, that I've thought a lot of a lot, thought about a lot is that I don't think I could have sort of had this playful orientation toward the idea of Jesus even three years ago. I was hurting a lot from the church. And I still think that there is pain there um, that I'm sometimes running away from that I'm not writing honestly about. Right. So I all my friends kind of make fun of me and tease me and send me all these memes about like Jesus and like queerness and stuff like that, um, because they know it's sort of a preoccupation of mine. And I use it as sort of an artistic metaphor in my work but I think that if I dug a little deeper um it would get a little harder for me 
to sort of make those connections and also sort of face the ways that the church has really been the antithesis of what I believe about the world for a really long time. So I I think that maybe some of my not performing pain in this is distance, but also some of it is like a willingness, like or an unwillingness to sort of go there to sort of really engage with, like, I, I don't know if I would say that I believe in Jesus. Like, I don't like, I believe that Jesus was a man who walked the earth. Like, I understand that, but I don't know if I would say I believe in Jesus or I believe in God. I believe in something and I believe in like connection and what humans do together in the world. Um, and I think I believe in a, in, in a sort of spiritual plane. Um, but I don't know if I like, like I believe in Jesus depending on the day and depending on how it feels and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm just, I get, you know, I know you can't see me um, listeners, but I was nodding my head to my, to my wonderful guest. I mean, isn't she amazing? Just listen to her. (laughs) You you are. um, You're just hearing me talk through my confusion, which is the idea. Like, it's hard for me to be like, yes, Jesus or no Jesus. Cause anytime I say that it's going to feel a little bit like a lie because I think there's contradiction there and there's ambivalence and a lot of feelings. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Well, something I struggle with is, you know, the whole thing about you can't serve two masters. And I'm like, but, you know, Jesus says you should, you know, drop everything and live a life of service. And I'm like, I'm not really, I mean, I feel like I try to, you know, do service through like my joyful life and my practices like this podcast and trying to be funny and all that. But I guess I don't associate Jesus with playful at all. (laughs) Like, for me, it's just like, uh, like stuff that's not not fun and then part of me is like but Jesus isn't supposed to be fun and at least at least my I don't feel like I was quote harmed by the church it was more like for me at least it was all like intellectual just like I was raised Presbyterian and there was a, there was talk about the sermon at, at Sunday dinner and just it was all about like how smart you are. And, you know, that's not the way to religion or any, anything like that. So I feel like I didn't learn how to open my heart back then. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, this goes back to like I'm an aspiring writer and an aspiring artist. But I always wonder, can you can you be an artist? I I do I don't identify as a Christian either because I'm like, I don't live the Christian life. (laughs) Like I have a nice house and like, I don't um, give up everything that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm like, sometimes I feel like that's the noble thing to do instead of, you know, messing around doing fun podcasts and reading books and things. So what do you think? I guess I'm just uninterested in the idea of nobility and I'm not sure why. So I'm Mm. thinking about that. I'm deeply interested in like, a commitment to how do we care for each other, which I think that like Jesus in his best iteration is an example of that. Right. But I don't, I don't, for me, it's like, if that becomes about a denial of the self, which gets back to queerness, then it it's impossible. And also I'm just kind of like, why would any higher power, this is why it's hard for me to think about like a higher power who is like all knowing and all powerful, because like, if that's the case, if we aren't like making up that higher power through how we treat each other, but there's actually some dude in the sky, that guy's fucked up, man. (laughs) You looked around like, I don't know. Like to me, it's just like, I, uh, there was a turning point for me where uh, my relationship to the church was very like um, mine wasn't, but it was sort of preached in a very like fear-based way, which was like, 
you do these things or you go to hell. Um, and that's how Jesus works. And to me, it's like, I'm not interested in being in relationship with anything, whether that's a person or an energy source or, you know, a higher power. Um, yeah. Or a community that is like going to cause harm and then somehow be in complete control of it so that I can learn a lesson. It's like very like egotistical. Like I'm, I'm like, if that's God, I'm just like really uninterested in it. I don't, that's not interesting to me. Um, and if we get there and that's what happened, I'll be like, well, you kind of sound like you suck. And I guess I have no control over that. So here we are. Um, but, but I am interested in like, how do we care for each other and like our souls <laughs> and like, how do we treat each other? And I think about maybe a bit more as like an energy source, but I, I still, I don't know. Like, I don't have answers for that yet in terms of, I feel like I'm, you're hitting me at a point where. I felt very sure for the four years of high school. And then I felt very sure for the few years after that I was like, yeah, I'm agnostic, whatever. It doesn't really matter. And you're hitting me at a transition point right now, like literally in the last year of how I think about both spirituality, but also specifically the church itself and Jesus. So my answers might seem contradictory and confusing. And, and to me, it's like, well, I guess that's, that's queer. And that's interesting. Like there's no, there's no final answer for me right now. I don't know if I'm going to arrive again, or if I'm just going to keep kind of waiting through all of this. Um, but I am interested in the idea of Jesus. That's like, not that we deny ourselves, but that we, that we can be ourselves and then reach our hands out towards others and do things to like build a world that's possible for everyone. Oh, wow. Wow. That was really good. Again, I'm so glad this is being recorded. So all my listeners listen to that again, everyone. Um, Celie, how did you get so smart? I'm serious. That is an absurd question. I knew you were going to try to deflect it, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I don't think I, so I don't like, I don't know. I just think that like, I'm just like, I don't know what, I don't know what smart means. I was like identified as a smart kid when I was younger. And like, I just pretty much am like, what the F does that mean? Like, I don't know. I do think about things. And I, I think about things and I find it important to think about things. And I like thinking critically. Um, but like the idea, like I like people who pay attention. Like I surround myself with people who pay attention to the world. Um, but that doesn't mean, I don't know. I just think that like intelligence is like some sort of thing that you are is kind of like a weird concept for me. All right. Well, then how did you learn how to play, pay such good attention? That's a good question. Um because while you're thinking, I'll tell a story. Uh, listeners, Celie is a poet, like she said. And um, I, I made a friend who was a poet about 10 years ago, and it really, really changed my life. Like, we were just walking to my car in the parking lot at Metro, and it was, I think, early spring. And she, like, pointed out a tree, and she was like, look at these leaves. Or <laughs> I know that sounds cliche, something like that. But... Up until then, I swear I had just gone through life like a lot of darling, not paying any attention at all. And I'm just like, poets, they're just so special the way they pay attention. It's just funny to me that you bring it to poetry because that's what I was probably going to say. It's just like, I think it's about being a writer. Um, I think it's about, yeah, about about poems, about poets who showed me that there was a world to pay attention to. And then I think there also is like a little bit of like an internal thing, which I wouldn't have named myself as queer as a child. Um, but I definitely knew that like my body and my desires and my feelings 
were like different than the world around me, not in a better or a worse way, but that they were different and that 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 sort of like forced me to pay attention to people around me. Like, I don't know how to really explain it. Like, and some of that was like painful, right? Like that, like, like I remember I have in my, I I just found this like in a like journal from like kindergarten. I wrote something about kissing one of my friends on the cheek. And I remember writing about that moment and like the way I was thinking about that moment in kindergarten like now I would name that as queer, but at the time I just had like no idea. Um, and so I think that, that even though I didn't have language, which I still don't know if I have language for everything, I did have a sense of like, I am not quite the same as the sort of like straight people around me. <laughs> um, and then the, then knowing you're different then of course leads to how you look at the place around you too. Um, I know I've asked you this in real life, but for our listeners, what are some poets that you would recommend? Many of us um, are not, don't know many things about poetry and are kind of intimidated by it. Um, Um, So where would be a good starting point for our listeners? Well, the first thing I would say is that poetry is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And if I knew you personally, I could probably figure out a poet that you would love. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I love doing that. I, I feel like everyone has a poet. Um, even people who don't think they have poets, and I love trying to find them for those people. Who's um, your poet? Who's my poet? Yeah. Um, I don't think I. I don't think I have one. Um, I definitely have several that I sort of return to. Stacy Waite is one of my poets, um, which is so funny because I know her in real life. She's like my mentor. So, Stacy Waite is one of my poets, both artistically and like as a human being in my life. My friends are my poets. I've been talking about this a lot, where I've been like. I have so many people who I adore, people that I've wrote with for several years and some who I've only written with for about a year who I'm like, most of the world has never read one of their poems. And I'm just sad about that because they are my poets. Um, And I love that. I love that poetry is like, not everyone is ever going to read your poem, right? But there's like a reason we do it anyway, that we keep looking at the world and we keep writing about it. Um, And then like Ada Limon, Ada Limon is like a really important poet to me who really shaped how I think about um, yeah, paying attention. Actually, Kate, I think you would love Ada Limon. I'll have to bring you one of her books sometime, but she's, she's an important poet to me, but that's just one. Like it's hard because I'm constantly reading poetry books. Like I'm just like, constantly reading them. Um, so I, I don't think I can point to like one poet. So if I had to pick like a poet, I'd be like the poets of my heart are the people I love who I talk about poems with. <laughs> um, but yeah. Great answer. Snap, snap, snap. Well, I said to Celie, we were only going to keep this for 30 minutes, and we're already at 25. Wow. So one of my favorite things to discuss with you is the University of Nebraska. <laughs> I have very mixed feelings about that institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, let's start with, uh, well, let's start with right now. Tell, you know, tell us about what you do there. Yeah, so I'm a second-year master's student. Um, so I'm getting my degree in English and composition and rhetoric specifically. I teach, so I teach two sections of like our freshman English course, essentially. Um, yeah, but I've been here, this is my sixth academic year because I was there for four years of undergrad. And then it feels weird. It feels like it's coming to a close. I'm like walking through Andrews Hall and being like, oh, this is the last one, the last round for me, which is kind of odd. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do love it here. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we have I'm just curious to see like where you're taking this conversation because I think that UNL is an interesting, an interesting topic for sure. Mm. Um, Have you ever written a poem about Andrews Hall? 
Have I written a poem about Andrews Hall? You know, there might be a draft somewhere that references it, but what's funny is just how many poems I've written in Andrews Hall, which is just like countless. Like the basement has seen so many poems that I've written. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't not one that I can think of off the top of my head, but I'm sure there that it makes an appearance. I mean, of course, I immediately think of, you know, a lot of things rhyme with the word hall. <laughs> and I've never written a rhyming poem in my life. <laughs> so you can say like I had a ball in Andrew's Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you write the poem, Kate? <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Um yeah, like I I went to UNL as an undergrad, and I always say that there's never and I am totally serious there's never been a more clueless person than I was I just reject that out of here you argue about this every time (laughs) like have you ever heard that Donna Lewis song I love you always forever near and far closer that was like the number one song when I arrived in Lincoln in 1996 and maybe like earlier this summer was the Macarena was the number like so those two songs are like real and every time I hear those songs which is quite a bit I'm just like Oh, like I just (laughs) just think about how I was and I'm just like, oh, and then I haven't really been to UNL that much since the pandemic. And when I was there a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, like just so many emotions, like starting from the 90s. Even I've been taking grad classes since 2013 and I've changed a lot during that. So just so much of like changing is bound up. And like I used to live at in Pound, which is now, you know, been demolished. Mm-hmm. And Celia and I both used to live in Nyhart. So mm-hmm. uh, why don't you tell us about your experiences in Nyhart, which to me is just fascinating. I love driving by Nyhart. Like I do it even when I don't have to, just to look and just think about how it was back then. And so tell us how it is now. Well, I mean, it's been a few years for me too, since I lived in Nyhart. I lived there my freshman and my sophomore year of undergrad, but where did I you mean, live? Like I lived in Piper and then I lived in Hepner. I lived on Raymond three. Oh, Raymond. Three. Like you go right up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Have the spiral staircase. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think Nyhart and UNL as a whole to me was like a place I came that just like completely shattered what I thought was possible in the world. So I came out about like a month, a month after getting onto a college campus. And I remember just walking around and literally the world looked different. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I remember I just like, would like look like at the trees, like a poet and just be like, something has shifted. Something has changed. A whole life is possible that I did not realize. And I think that like slowly over time that even like Andrews, like the conversations I've had in this building have just like pushed what I thought was possible. The, the things I've read, the people I've met, um, it's definitely a very queer place for me, um, both Andrews and Nyhart and campus, which is not to say it is a perfect place. It's an institution. I disagree heavily with many of the things that UNL has done over the course of the last six years of being here. But but like the actual like location is kind of a, a home where I got to become someone I didn't even like couldn't even imagine like that. I was incapable of imagining when I was 17, say so. That was a great, great answer. Um, it's interesting. My son is 15 and mm. um, I'm always asking him, where are you going to, where do you want to go to college? I don't ask too much, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> I mean, he is not an aspiring poet, <laughs> but he's a, he's an aspiring statistician. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so We'll see. We'll see. Um, but I, I just, I really loved your description of UNL. Like, again, I have a lot of mixed feelings about that. Mm. But just like listening to you, it really was very poetic. Mm. 
Uh, well, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but we're almost done. We so, didn't even get to talk about our class conversation oh, you wanted to bring up. What class conversation? You said you wanted to bring up the class we took together. Oh, shoot. Okay, let's bring it up. I mean, I guess, are people that busy that they can't listen to Celie and me for another 10 minutes if we keep going? This is why I think you have Leo in your chart. I just want you to know right here, this is why I'm like, if you have an astrology sign in your chart, there's Leo somewhere. Why? Why am I acting like a Leo right now? Are people really that busy that they can't listen to us for 10 more minutes is <laughs> like a Leo orientation toward the world. I want to be clear that I'm not like there are people who are real astrologers. I'm like an amateur astrologer. I just think it's fun, but it is entertaining to me that it just feels like there's maybe some Leo in your chart. Mm, okay, I'll look into that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I, Celia and I, did we really meet at, I've, I've, I know you said a community college in Lincoln, but I've named it SCC. Did we really meet at SCC or did we meet in that class? Was it SCC first? I guess it doesn't matter. What? I think it was like, I don't know. I feel like it was SCC, but maybe I'm not right. I don't know. It's getting anything before 2020 is now getting confusing. Yeah, it's gone in my brain. Because <laughs> we took a couple classes together. Yeah, that queer yeah. rhetorics and pedagogies class was the first one. But we also took Sherry Stenberg's yeah. class together. Yeah. 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 Um, and I just have to say, I love that I have this 23-year-old friend. And look at us talking about taking classes together. Um, but I did I remember I did a presentation on September 1st in that first Mm. class we were in it's the very beginning of the school year and I even I ordered this book and you know I have a very mixed relationship with academic books I even ordered my own copy of the book Tilting the Tower published in 1994 because I did a presentation about it and in this book they talk about um this class in like one of the University of California schools in like, I can't remember what year, 1992, something like that. And like the students had to write what they wanted sexually, like in a sexual relationship. They had to write it down, like what they would ask for. I think that was the phrase, what would you ask for? And I read that at my house and I was like, what? I, <laughs> I wish I had like taken a class in college where they had you thinking about that because I had literally never like that wasn't even a possibility in my mind that you could ask that kind of thing. And I like, I mean, I'll just say I got married without even knowing (laughs) you could ask that. Um, It was just like so beyond my experience that you could like a recognize your own needs and desires and then like ask for them. Mm. Um, So I had the class like write theirs, I think. And then, (laughs) I think I asked, does anyone want to share? And I don't know if anybody did. But um, anyway, Celie was just a young student in that class at that time. And uh, what what are your feelings about, um, like, naming your needs, asking for that? Like, was this a surprising thing to you? Am I the only? I don't think it was surprising. I mean, I feel like I'm an anomaly, maybe, that it was super surprising. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I don't know. At that point in time, I don't know. I think I had been thinking about desire and queerness for a couple years. So I don't think it was a new idea um, to me. But actually thinking about desires and thinking about queerness is very different than like interpersonally naming desires and queerness in your relationships. So I think that like I'm so interested in the idea of desire and where desire takes us, not just sexually, just like in general. Um, and in the idea of need um, and where need takes us and in the idea of connection, which are all like sexual ideas. Right. But they 
also bleed into like every facet of our life. But I think that the idea of naming them to another with as like while asking them to sort of fulfill that part of myself is not something that I've like I would say like I'm an expert at or that I do very well I joke a lot where I'm kind of like like I talk about the idea of sex and queerness and desire often with many people in my life that's not a thing I'm shy about but I remember (laughs) I wrote this poem a couple weeks ago that was kind of explicit it was about like my understanding of my sex life currently and I like handed it to my two friends and I was, cause we do a workshop together every week or like a writing group together every week. And we just like bring a new poem every week. I handed it to them and they read it. And I, I was like, I feel really vulnerable giving this to you. I just like want to name that before I give it. <laughs> One of my friends like read the poem. We talked about it at the end. He was like, yeah, so very sweetly, very nicely. Um, and I'm probably butchering what he actually said, but he was like, yeah, so you said you were being like, really vulnerable in this poem and I know that it's about sex and I know there are a lot of like images here but I don't actually know what you're saying like I don't feel like you're being as vulnerable as you think you are because I get to the end and I'm not really sure what you were trying to tell me um which sort of that kind of feedback like blew me away and it's just I think related to your question that like I'm very good at talking around desire Mm. um, and I'm very good at sharing things that to some people might seem very vulnerable because sex is not a thing we're taught to talk about very often. Um, So I'm very, I'm very good at that, at like naming those things. But then you get into like the moment where to require real vulnerability from me would be a different, a different level of sharing. And that is something that I'm still pretty, um, not very practiced at doing yet. Um, and that I have to sort of watch myself and be like, yes, you're talking about queerness and yes, you're talking about desire and yes, you're talking about sex, but are you actually like sharing, sharing your erotic orb, you know, (laughs) like, are you sharing the things that are like deeper beyond that? Um, and that, I don't know if I do that as much as I think I do, or at least as much as the other people would assume I do based on how I talk about these things with them. Well, I think that was a very vulnerable, um, answer you just gave like thank you thank you i'm 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 terrified (laughs) that was was really really good so i just don't want to say like well that's it um so (laughs) so i don't know do you want to toot your own horn and promote yourself a little like as a writer or do you have i mean i always joke that i have like billions of listeners (laughs) (laughs) but um what if people want to learn more about your poetry or you or your work is there anything they can follow honestly right now not really I used to be out in the community performing a lot more than I do currently um right now you just gotta you gotta be one of my friends to read my poems I think um that may change but it might not but I'm just very interested, I think, right now in the idea of like building a poet's life that's not about like mass consumption. Um, so no, the, the short answer is no, I don't have much to promote. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, again, that was a great answer. Don't be sorry at all. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll end it with this. Um, what are your feelings about Halloween? And do you have a costume? Do you see again? I didn't know I'd be I could ever be sexy until again. To me, I love that you end with this answer that for any other human being should be so simple. And like last night, I literally ranted about Halloween to one of my friends for like an hour. So, so do you want like a like yeah, Halloween's great, or do you want the like answer that is actually how I feel about? I want the answer about how you feel about it. 
So Halloween is a queer holiday. Oh. It's kind of like gay Christmas. Mm. Um, it's like when the gays go really hard. Oh. Um, and I've always felt sort of separate from Halloween. Um, and I'm thinking about why that is. Uh, I think some of it's just like, I feel a lot of pressure to like perform my body in a certain way. Mm. And that's related to gender. I also think that like the idea of going to like make a cute outfit in like an hour at a thrift store is something that's possible for thin people. That's not possible for fat people. Um, so I'm like a little bit anti-Halloween, which will get me canceled in my community. Like even my friends are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because it's like such an important, cause I think it relates back to like being able to like dress as who you are for one night, a year. like that, that kind of thing. And also just like, there's a connection between, horror and camp and all of these things and Halloween and queerness. Um, so I completely, if you're a Halloween gay, I love that for you. I love that for you so much. My feelings are more complicated about Halloween. So no, I didn't have a costume and I went to a party um, or like a small gathering um, with people I know where costumes were required. Um, and I walked in the door in my regular clothes and I said, this is queer refusal. Happy to be here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Where's the line? laughs> But yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Halloween is complicated for me, but I'm, I'm happy for all these other really cute queer people who love it. Um, what's the best costume you had in your past? I don't know. It's been so long since I've done a costume. Like, I don't think I've done a costume since I was a child. I think I've like every year sort of refused once I got to college. Um, as a kid, I loved... I probably loved my, this is going back to Western Nebraska. I probably loved my Laura Ingalls Wilder costume the most. I dressed up as Laura Ingalls Wilder when I was a child mm. and that was very important to me. <laughs> well, great answer. Um, all right. Well, I really am going to wrap this up. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much to my very special guest, Celie. Yeah, of and, course. Uh, Thanks for having me on. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, stay on the line. I'm going to, just a second. Thank you to Garrett Hope for my theme music. Thank you to Katie Nealand for my logo. And thank you to KZUM for the platform and opportunity.